Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Jessica, the podcast where my goal is to give quality information to help anyone out there who cares for children. I'm your host and pediatrician, Dr. Jessica Hockman. Today's guest is Dr. Anna Maria Temple. Dr. Temple is a holistic functional pediatrician. And on today's podcast, we will talk about her two books. Her most recent book, Ending the Eczema Epidemic, looks at alternative ways to treat eczema. I really enjoyed learning about different possible treatment options for eczema from a holistic perspective. And then we talk about her other book, Healthy Kids in an Unhealthy World. And in this book, she gives truly practical tips to help parents who have picky eaters. Dr. Temple is funny, knowledgeable, and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So thank you, Dr. Temple. And also, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would be so appreciative if you would share it with friends, family, or even on your social media. And thank you to anyone who has already left a five-star review. I read all of the comments and I truly appreciate them. Now on to Dr. Temple. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to be here. So you are a trained pediatrician, but you're also an integrated pediatrician. How did it come to be that you became an integrated pediatrician? Well, yeah, like you said, I was a general peds, um, and I had, in 2007, I had three kids at that time, and all three of my kids were sick, and my daughter had asthma, eczema, allergies, constipation, recurrent ear infections, recurrent croup, you name it, she had it. My youngest had seasonal allergies that were so bad that during Easter, he couldn't go out for an Easter egg hunt because his eyes would swell shut, his tears would stream down his face, his body would be covered in hives, and he would be on the ground writhing and just scratching his skin off. And as for my middle one, he had like kind of snot, kind of boogers. Like these days, you literally would never be allowed in school or outside of your house. It was so horrible. And I took the three ring circus to the doctor one day because I was like, seriously, like, why are they all on chronic meds? This is not, I can't get over it. And then by the time we got to my snotty four-year-old who was clearly ADHD, I had stopped paying attention. You know, it seemed like nobody was listening. I felt unheard. And I walked out of the office and I was like, it can't be that my children's story is that they're going to be on chronic meds for the rest of their life. So anyway, my mama warrior took over and was like, wait, what? Chronic meds? No, we're not going to do chronic meds. I was in five years in practice. I had no other answers. I had no idea. To me, all those things seemed reasonable. But I was like, how could this be? And so I was like, you know what, the mom, because you know, for all the people out there, when the mama warrior takes over, you know, when she shows up, man, it's game on. And I, it was like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what the next step is, but I know that the answer is not chronic meds for these kids. So it was a week later, I went to my kid's school. It was an elementary school and the nutritionist was giving a talk. And it was on that Tuesday, 730 in the morning, freezing my booty off in a first grade classroom, stuffed in a tiny chair where the fog lifted and I realized the root cause of my children's chronic disease. All that you talked about was sugar. And I thought I was doing an amazing job. My kids had strawberries at lunch and they had broccoli at dinner. It felt like they were getting balanced meals. Well, so after that talk, I came home that night after work at 7.30 at night in my stilettos and I went into the pantry and I threw out the Lucky Charms and the Cinnamon Toast Crunch and the juice boxes and the mac and cheese and the chocolate milks and Pop-Tarts and you name it, I had it and the trash it went. And that's when the era of isolation, I was I ostracized from my family. My husband and I fought over food for the next five years. My friends and family thought I lost my mind. 
And, you know, everybody's like, well, where's the evidence? And I was like, well, I don't, it can be wrong to get rid of processed foods and food coloring and replace it with fruits and vegetables. That just can be wrong. Well, anyway, despite the naysayers, because, you know, as mama warriors go, despite all the naysayers and the controversy and everything, I just stuck to my guns. And over the next five years, my children never needed allergy shots. ADHD medicine, they stopped needing antibiotics, they stopped needing steroid, the inhalers went away, the topical steroids went away, the allergy medications went away, and by 2016, we moved to New Zealand, we had no doctors, no medical insurance, no medications, and my children thrived, they climbed the highest mountains, and then Bunchy jumped off the tallest bridges, and when I was in New Zealand, I was able to practice medicine and 90% of my patients got better with lifestyle changes as I had seen in, you know, my children. And by the time we come back to 2018 in the States, I was going to do it differently. I wasn't going to do the same old. I had seen too many things, learned too many things along the journey of 14 years at that time. So I opened my own integrated practice and now, you know, children are forced to eat vegetables and they can't eat fast food and they have to give up the juice boxes and they have to play outside. And <laughs> that is their medical treatment and it's working. And I'm just curious, as a pediatrician, you've been practicing for years, giving the recommended medications that we typically do for things like eczema and allergies. And did you see kids in your practice respond well to these medications? So the medications, I mean, yeah, the patients responded well to the medications, but as my children's health changed, I started giving different advice. I was like, hey, listen, I appreciate that the Zyrtec's working, but let's consider, let's dig a little deeper into the diet. I realize that you are inhaled steroids. We're not going to stop it, but let's dig into the diet because I'm not, I mean, are you okay with this medicine? And for the parents that were okay with medicine, they're okay with medicine. That's okay. That's where everybody's on their journey and they are where they're supposed to be. But for my folks that were like, well, you know, I don't want my kids on chronic meds. What else can we do? So I started giving different advice. They started asking me different questions. I started do, doing different kind of research and I had different answers. And then it was just slowly over time. I really was a lot of self-education in the first about, yeah, yeah 10 years um, until I went to New Zealand. In New Zealand, I was able to actually, they, um, they paid for me to study functional medicine in the United States, the irony of the whole thing. And so, um, so that's really where I started actually really putting a lot more, um, functional medicine into practice based on what I learned from in New Zealand. What I like about your approach is I, I think my issue with Western medicine is that I think we are all too quick to pull out our prescription pad and try to fix something with a pill um, or an antibiotic, which of course there's for certain a, ro a role for these medications. But I find that, um, I don't know, maybe it's too time consuming to educate patients about diet or we're afraid they won't make the changes that are recommended. It's too hard to cut out sugar and processed foods. Um, but I love that you are taking the time to educate families. But you're right. It is hard. You know, I'm in my traditional practice. I had 10 minutes, 15 minute tops with my patients. And in a 15 minute appointment, you have to discuss, okay, the root cause of their asthma, how to give up sugar, which products to buy, how to get the kid buy. And now you have picky eaters. They're not pooping. I mean, there's entirely too much, you know, in my practice, I have hour appointments and I have a health coach down the hallway from me. So it is, it is a game changer. It is very difficult, you know, and in my uh, traditional practice, all I would focus is one thing, but let's say, okay, we got off Gatorade. Awesome. 
but then I'll see you in a year. So there was not like people didn't come back every few months. So, okay, we worked on the Gatorade this first 10 minutes. Okay, now let's work on increasing plants the next visit and the next visit. It is very hard. This the And it wasn't the doctors. We are not the ones that are like, let's have 10-minute visits. It was for in the practice that was hospital-owned. It was the suits that were like, you work in 10-minute, 15-minute increments. And the physicians that took longer actually got penalized. So that's not okay. It's very difficult to do lifestyle changes. And for us Americans, we are used to quick. Like in the world of eczema, if you put steroid on eczema, it gets better. The end. No one is arguing. When you, but it doesn't go away. We're not treating the root cause. It's a band-aid. When you have to do lifestyle changes, like changing your diet, getting rid of processed food and sugar, that takes weeks to months. And you're not seeing the results immediately. It's not like, okay, well, I'm not eating a cookie today. So tomorrow my eczema is better, right? The human body needs a lot of time to get better. So all those things are big obstacles in trying to, um, you know, bring all of it in what I call mass produced medicine in the 10 minute visits. So, yeah, so let's talk about this. So you have a second book out, uh, Ending the Eczema Epidemic. And I want to talk to you about this because as you and I both know, eczema is so pervasive in the pediatric world. One in five kids has eczema. And as you mentioned, the go-to treatment are topical steroids or steroid creams that we put on the skin. And they do work, as you mentioned. Um, but I, I do feel like as a Western practicing physician, we don't talk about the potential root causes, as you mentioned. Um, so, so what are those root causes? All right, so let's talk to, uh, through a couple of them. You know, in med school, I was taught the same thing, eczema, steroids, antibiotics, you know, and now the fancy immunomodulators. One of the things we're not taught that the skin doesn't, is not an organ that just lives alone in a jar on a shelf. Like the skin is part of our body. It's connected to our heart, to our lungs, to our brain, to our gut. It's all an interconnected, intricate mesh. And it all has to work together like a well-oiled machine in order for us to have healthy skin. And we know that eczema is an out-of-control immune system. And in order to heal eczema, we have to optimize the immune system so it prevent, uh, protects us from disease without attacking the skin. So some of the common things, of course, we have genetics at play, but genetics are not this whole story. If it was the whole story, then everyone who had an eczema family member, there would be a 100% chance of you getting eczema. But we know that's not the case. One parent has eczema, 40% chance of one child having eczema. Two parents have eczema. The child has maybe about 60% chance of getting eczema. What I hear in that story, it's not it's not a hundred percent. So there's something else at play. And we also know that people that have genetics, so one of the genetic defects, for example, not it's a little nerdy. The phalagrin is like basically the scaffolding in the cell. So some people have a diff defect in the phalagrin, but not all people who have that gene and who have that defect in phalagrin get eczema. Only some people do, which then says, ah, there's more to the story. So then we're going to go to food sensitivities. We already alluded to processed foods and sugar. I cannot tell you how many people see benefits after they remove processed foods and they reduce their added sugar to less than 24 grams a day and increase fruits and vegetables into their diet. There is a role to dairy and gluten eggs, nuts. And you know, it's funny because a lot of folks are like, oh, there's just not enough medical evidence. I'm like, but there is a ton of medical evidence that shows that food sensitivities trigger eczema. Then we have gut dysbiosis. Because again, people go like, well, food sensitivity. Well, 
the goal of treatment is not remove a food for the rest of their life. Okay, you're done. That's terrible treatment. But why do we have food sensitivities? Then that takes us to the gut microbiome. When you have an imbalance in your gut for every one human cell, we are 10 bacteria cells. The National Institute of Health, when they went and did the human genome project, they identified 40,000 genes. If you're going to have Alzheimer's, if you're going to go blind, if you have cancer, all the things. But they also identify 3.3 trillion genes in the human gut. And fun fact, three to four pounds of our adult weight is bacteria weight because the bacteria in our gut has an intricate role and it plays with our genetics and our cells and regulates our hormones, our immune system, etc. And of course, if we take antibiotics, for example, we get rid of you know, sometimes up to a third of the human microbiome in our gut, and then that gets replaced by unsavory bacteria, yeast, and those guys will trigger eczema issues because they trigger the immune system. An overactive immune system goes to eczema. Also, topically, 90% of people with eczema are overly colonized with staph aureus. If we don't watch what we're doing on the microbiome on the outside as well as on the inside, we have to rebalance that in order to help uh, heal from eczema. Of course, we have micronutrient deficiencies, iron, B12, magnesium, vitamin D, zinc, selenium. And so a lot of times I tell people, cause they're like, Oh no, steroids are the thing. I'm like, right. But if you have a zinc deficiency, how is a topical steroid cream curing? We're not saying we're curing eczema, but how does a topical steroid cream heal a zinc deficiency? It doesn't. So we have to make sure that we find out our, do our patients have micronutrient deficiencies? And of course, we cannot forget stress. One of the biggest toxins in our world, especially in our American culture, is stress. Stress raises our cortisol levels. Cortisol levels irritate the mast cells. Mast cells are these lovely white blood cells and they contain histamines. So they're kind of like pinatas, but instead of candy, they have histamines inside of them and cortisol level goes up. It starts irritating the mast cells. The mast cells become overly active and they explode, releasing histamines all over our body. And then it's triggering all kinds of eczema. So you will notice that people that uh, have kids that they were doing great, they go to school, boom, eczema, nothing has changed is the stress level. Adults who are in really overworked situations and stress marriages and partnerships, eczema. And then lastly, environmental factors, the dog, the pollen, the floor that we have in our house, the bleach we keep putting, you know, to clean our stuff. Cause that's what we're told is good. The detergents, the lotions, the potions. So as you can see, it is overwhelming. The whole point is not to like drive everyone crazy. It's to point out that eczema is a very intricate chronic disease that requires a multi-level approach and looking at it from many different angles before we say, ah, we are feeling healed. So I just want to ask, and I, and I totally buy into this. I, I agree that disease processes are definitely triggered by what we eat, the stress in our lives, environmental factors, genetics. Um, but I'm just thinking about my nephew. I had a nephew who had terrible eczema from two, three months old and my sister breastfed him. She had a very healthy diet. She, she has a balanced life. She exercises. She eats well. Um, and honestly, my nephew had probably one of the worst top five cases of eczema I've ever seen. And if I had told her, no, this is a, we need to watch, you know, the detergents in the house and change your diet, it would not have been enough. Um, he was so itchy. He was so miserable. And so, 
in his situation, honestly, the steroids and the, and the creams got us through a very difficult time. Um, what would you say about a child like my nephew? Do you think, you know, did we, do we miss anything in that step? Is there something else we should have tried? Because obviously at his age, he's not eating sugar. He's just on a breast milk diet. Right. So no, no, no. So important. Listen, sometimes we need topical steroids as our band-aid to get through so we can do the rest of the work. If you're scratching and bleeding all day, all night, mama's losing her mind. We're, we're all operating in their stress response. We're all in the amygdala in the, you know, sympathetic overdrive. Absolutely. But yes, we have kids like that in the program all the time. And it comes from what, you know, what is the mama's and dad's story before? How many antibiotics did they have in their life? Did, were we born by a C-section? Cause we know there's an increased relation to C-section birth and eczema. Did mama have a lot of antibiotics in her life? And we know that the most common time for baby, for children to get eczema, we know it's under five and specifically between two, three and six months is a huge amount. And also when babies are born, they are born with a leaky gut, which means that their intestines are not mature. And what we see is is that a lot of foods are coming in. It's kind of like basically instead of having a uh, skin that is all nice and intact, the skin is broken apart. Basically, yes. when your skin looks like a giant scab, that's what the inside of your gut looks like. And then stuff is leaking through. And so mama and her breast milk, she's eating whole foods. Well done, mama. But maybe actually her sugar intake is more than her child can tolerate. Maybe the dairy in her diet, the eggs, the nuts, the various things. Because even if we're having dairy from the most amazing source and it's raw and we love the cow and we pet it, it still doesn't mean that dairy is a good fit for your nephew's body because each human is different. And it doesn't mean that everyone with eczema has a dairy issue. It just a lot of people do. And some people have nuts and some people, etc. Then we're like, okay, well, did mama have, what's her gut microbiome? What's dad's gut microbiome? Because we share with our babies, not just genetics, but we share our microbiome as well. So when babies come out of our vagina, they're actually supposed to come out face down and they're supposed to face the poo. And when we birth, we poop on the birthing table. And a lot of people are like, ah! I'm like, birthing is a, is yucky, is a whole lot of stuff that comes out. There's a lot of fluids and poop and babies and stuff. But that's what birth is supposed to be like. Mother Nature's got this. And so, you know, what happened during the birth process? Did he get enough of the microbiome that he needed? You know, cause, or do we have a overpopulation of yeast? Which yeast, where does it come from? Moms. How do moms know that they have yeast? All of a sudden they have recurrent yeast infections during pregnancy. They have yeast when they're nursing and the babies are getting thrush. Why are they always getting a yeast diaper infection? Yeast can be really awful and toxic and irritating to the eczema. And if we don't treat the yeast in this example, the eczema, you, you can do all the dietary stuff, but we haven't controlled one of the other pieces of the puzzle that could be affecting what's going on in the microbiome. So in the program, I do use supplements in a very specific way to help heal the gut uh, micronutrient deficiency, like we talked about. Your nephew, did he have a zinc deficiency, vitamin D deficiency? Mama's taking all this stuff, but is he actually absorbing it? Because just by having food is awesome, but are we actually absorbing all the amazing nutrients that mamas are doing, eating so they can pass it on to the breast milk? So for a mom in this situation who's breastfeeding and has a young child who's on an exclusive breast milk diet, you would recommend... A, a probiotic, some micronutrients. Do you recommend any creams topically to the skin? 
So I usually start with, so mom's diet is key before we, you know, a lot of times like we go right for the lotions because, well, that's what well, we, we see, see it. Skin. No, we see it. So we like, see how lotion. itchy they so, are. Yeah, I know. Um, so before we get lotion, I do want to say, so the mama's diet, again, back to the processed food for mama's diet. And it's really hard mamas when you have a two month old, three month old, they're not sleeping you're get like one hour sleep a month, you know, you're starving for carbs and sugar. It's, there's no shame. That's just what happens. We're exhausted. Um, I don't even know how I did it. Um, and you know, so then you're exhausted. You're trying to cook. You don't have enough arms because you may have a toddler that's attached to your leg and then you have a baby. And then you're like, Oh, this lady gets on a podcast and tells me to like cook Brussels sprouts and cauliflower. Right. So, but we just have to just be cognizant, evaluate the diet. What is that looking like? Do we need extra help? Do we need our partner to like chip in? Do we need to release some control so somebody else can help us with the management so we can focus on our diet? Cause oftentimes we're like, eh, whatever. I'm just making do and I'm surviving. So doing that, watching your diet, processed foods, sugar, watch the dairy. I'm sorry. Dairy, like that would be the first, one of the first, but don't do dairy first and forget the sugar because a lot of people do that too. And then yes, vitamin D, super important. I do probiotics now on children from the beginning because in the medical literature, we have seen that B. infantis, which used to be present six years ago in all babies, is no longer present in babies' poops. And that's because mamas are no longer carrying B. infantis. And we've seen that with a decrease of B. infantis, we've seen the rise in chronic disease. Lovely uh, research is coming specifically on B. infantis and lack of B. infantis association with type 1 diabetes. And in fact, they're now extending to other chronic issues. But we know that when this guy is missing, it leads to a lot of chronic issues. And now it's leading to asthma, eczema, ADHD, neurodevelopmental issues, to name a few. So now when babies are born, I begin a pro multi-strain probiotic with B. infantis right from birth. Even if we had a home birth, even if we had a vaginal birth, if we had a C-section, it doesn't matter. Everyone is going on it because the studies are way too strong and too convincing for the outcome. Because again, our diets have changed. If, you know, in college I had popped in med school, my diet was Pop-Tarts and Diet Coke. I am not kidding anybody. And processed hospital food. So when I had my babies, that was the diet they had. And when I <clears throat> would cook a frozen pizza at home, I called it home cooking because I was a resident. I could barely right. hold it together. And so for my mamas, let's look at our diet. Let's talk to our pediatrician about micronutrients, big correlation in what kind of illnesses they actually develop in infancy. So I guess the point I also want to stress is that the recommendations that you have, parents should expect to see changes over time. It's not going to happen instantly, correct? Totally. So then to your point about lotions. So one of the things that I um, actually, I did a deep dive this weekend on black seed oil, black seed oil coming out of Egypt has to be cold pressed organic and has powerful anti-inflammatory properties. What I like about it, it actually has activity against Staph aureus and MRSA amazing. And we're going to use it topically and you can do it topically. It's actually an oral supplement. I don't use it as an oral supplement. I use it topically. Amazing for cradle cap, amazing for skin. So that can tone down the staph aureus. If we can remove some of the staph aureus and tone it down a little bit, the skin's going to be less itchy and irritating. Interesting. Um, e Emu oil, very moisturizing. Love it. St. John's wort in clinical research was as effective Sorry, as low. Emu oil? What did you say? Emu? No, emu oil. Like E-M-U e oil. E like from the bird. Oh. Yeah, from Australia. Like from the bird. Wow. 
very moisturizing, anti-inflammatory. And my other oil that I love is St. John's wort oil. It's a plant. And in medical studies, it was as effective as low to medium potency steroids. So it is a nice alternative when we're trying to maybe not do as many steroids to have some herbals that are going to help us with bacteria, inflammation, itching, etc. Okay, this is this is really interesting to hear because I feel so badly for parents when children have such terrible eczema from infancy. That's when I see it really terrible, really flared. And if I were to tell a mom, you know, just change change your diet, change your environment, and there wasn't the immediate relief, I think that would be really hard advice to follow because they get so itchy and they look so uncomfortable. So these are great oils to have in our it, have my back pocket to recommend. The, you know, having a backup, I will tell you more, more and more moms are like, let's do it without medication. What else can we do? And I mean, listen, sometimes we need antibiotics. I mean, that's why we have, thank goodness for Western medicine, we have antibiotics, but antibiotics carry a high risk of eczema as does anti-reflux medicine as does Tylenol. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have these medications <clears throat> again, I'm not, my point is not to scare everybody. Oh my God, now we can't use anything. No, no, it is, are we using this in our best interest? We have a lot of folks that use Tylenol. Oh, they're teething. They're teething. They have this pain and that pain. And so then they're giving the kids Tylenol. And I'm like, but there's a strong correlation between Tylenol and development of eczema. And then, you know, for antibiotics, I mean, I can't tell you how many folks I have, even in my own practice, I had a kid with eczema, all good. We're doing amazing. The child had ear pain. We did craniosacral therapy. We did garlic oil ear drops. We did chiropractor. I mean, we did all of it. Nothing was working. He needed antibiotics. Three months later, eczema flared off. We, here we go again. So, and it was like the mom, well, they came in three months later and mom's like, oh yeah, it started within two weeks after the antibiotics. Here came the eczema back again. And I'm like, Ugh. so we're back to square one, but you know, we're going to get there, but you can see the effects of these medications. And it's so nice that we can give parents other options. And to your point, eczema, it's multifactorial. There's so many factors involved. What gets it to flare? What, what, what has it arrive in the first place? So it just takes a lot of education and patience. Oh, you know, let's say it again. It takes so much patience. It takes a lot of patience, you know, in, and again, it's not, you know, doing the integrative approach is not for everybody because you have to, not that you're a good or bad person, you have to have the patience. You have the mindset. You have to go like, yes, this is what it's going to do. And I'm telling you, the first thing we do in our program, we work on mindset. Mindset is one of the most powerful, underutilized things that we can do in our healing. So we begin in our program, we talk about mindset. We talk about embarking on this journey because it's tough. It's not easy. I'm not going to sit here and go, oh yeah. And then two weeks we're good. No, it's, it's uh, eczema ebbs and flows and healing is not like, oh, you begin the program or you read my book and you're like, Hey, I'm better. No, it's like, and then two steps forward, one step back, two steps around the block and backwards. And you're doubting yourself and you doubt the whole world. And anyway, and then eventually we get to healing, but mindset is one of the key to healing from chronic disease. Amazing. No, I, I, I think mindset is the key to so much in life in general, if we want to get really philosophical, but oh, yeah, the way you see your life, the way you approach life mindset, uh, to me, mindset makes all the difference, a healthy mindset. Um, totally so, okay. so now I want to ask you about your first book, um, healthy kids in an unhealthy world. I find it so 
uh, helpful. I love how you talk about picky eaters. This is definitely something that comes up in my practice daily. Um, I also want to tell everybody about your Instagram page. Definitely check it out. Um, because I love what I really, really like about your book and your Instagram page is that you give practical guidelines for families on how to actually implement these healthy changes. Um, a lot of families will say to me, it's so easy to say, oh, are you eating your fruits and vegetables? But then when push comes to shove, it's really hard not to have a sugary cereal in the house. And so, so anyways, I, <laughs> so I guess what I wanted to ask you is for people that are listening for that practical guidance, let's say somebody says to you, I have, a, you know, I don't want my kid to be deprived. I have, I have cereal in the house. How can they start off with just healthy breakfast? Let's say, do you have any advice on what they can start their day off with? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, guys, everyone is you're in luck because I gave my children all that stuff. And I said all those things. So the great news is not like my kids were like, and they're born and they have salad in their mouth. Yet, yeah, no, they have Pop-Tarts and uh, strudels with a side of cinnamon toast crunch. And so when I changed our lifestyle, I was like, yeah, the story sounds great for me to throw everything from the pantry, but that's not actually what happened. What happened was I was like, hmm, okay, well, we have a problem here, but how am I going to deal with this with Jedi mind trick so I can get my people on board? And the key, and I knew we had to go slow. It can't be, it couldn't be fast. So for the cereal, which my kids were eating, Lucky Charms and Cinnamon Toast Crunch, um, I was like, all right, guys, we are going to have smoothies. And our smoothies are, and I'm not kidding, Strawberry ice cream smoothies for breakfast. My people were like, what? Has she lost her mind? I'm like, yeah. So my first smoothies were whole milk, ice, vanilla ice cream, and strawberries. And my people were like, this is the bomb. I'm like, I know. And then a week later, I added a leaf of spinach. Nobody could tell because the smoothie was pink and tasted like strawberries. A week after that, I added some mango. A week after that, I took away the vanilla ice cream and I added vanilla yogurt. Months after that, I took away the vanilla yogurt and put in whole milk yogurt. Months and months later, years later, I mean, like our smoothie now is like oat milk and we have like 14 plant points in there. Like, thank goodness for Costco. I literally have every bag of frozen organic fruit and vegetable from Costco and it goes into the smoothie. And it tastes like a strawberry. Okay, it does not taste like a strawberry ice cream anymore, but taste buds die every 30 days, a third of our taste buds. So in 90 days, you get all new taste buds. So if you have the patience and just perseverance and you just do one little step at a time, the small humans actually don't know and they don't notice. I think this is brilliant because you're right. You can't make, you can't make, you know, crazy changes all at once. You have to do them gradually for it to be practical and for your kids not to revolt. And, and sustainable, right? And it's sustainable. You, Right. Like people that lose 20 pounds in a week, they're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to stay. Right. Because you can't that you can't do that. And so then, but I gave them the smoothie and I said, you can have your lucky charms after the smoothie. Well, as the smoothie changed and they were drinking it, the quantities got bigger. And over time they ate less and less cereal until they stopped asking for cereal. It was still in my pantry. I had boxes of cereal that just sat there for months. I swear to you, I'm not making this up. And eventually I was like, okay, I think I can throw them out because they're, well, they don't mold because of the preservatives, but they're just gross. So I, I was, well, I'm a yes household. I was like, yes, you can have your cereal after your smoothie. Yes, for in the snack world, because, you know, oh my God, the snack culture in the US, honestly. But anyway, so the snacks in our house was like, I need a snack, 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 snack. And I'm like, Ugh. so before I plot murder, um, I was like, how about, 
we are going to eat a fruit or a vegetable before a packaged food. And so that was the rule. And if they did not want to eat a fruit or a vegetable, then they weren't hungry. They didn't get a snack. And I had to do this. We're saying like, I'm going to go for two, three years before it became automatic. Cause it was this, I, we had the same conversation over and over and over again until they got it. And then they would go to grandma's house and, you know, my mother-in-law would be like, ah, they're so annoying. You're annoying. They need fruit before their packaged snack. I'm like, yeah, brainwashing complete. Um, and then, then I started changing the snacks and we did taste tests. I was like, oh guys, Hey, listen, so new cracker, um, just kind of seeing like, what do you guys think about this one? And I would replace the Cheez-Its with an, with a cracker that was in the cheese it category, but had ingredients everyone could read. And then I taught them how to read ingredients. I was like, if we can't read it, we're not going to eat it, but we are going to, I was like, I'm committed to you to find snacks and food options that you guys like with ingredients that I approve of. Again, years of work. This was not like an overnight success. This is why when you, when you get the healthy kids in an unhealthy world book, you, I, I give you the timeline of what we started, you'll see like cracker, <laughs> Vitamix blender. Yeah. I mean, like literally it was like this week was like, and now Ritz cracker substitution. I mean, it was that slow and you can see the timeline that it took 14 years for the changes and it doesn't stop. Right. It's like, and then, cause now I have reverse osmosis in my house and now my floors are low VOCs and you know, I have air doctors and air filtration, but that wasn't at the beginning. At the beginning I was tackling Cheez-Its and Lucky Charms. By the way, I love your Instagram page. I took a couple of screenshots of, um, the snack suggestions for when you go traveling with your children, because sometimes when you're in the moment, you can't remember what would be good ideas as snacks for children on the go. And so Thank you so much for that guidance. I think it's really helpful for parents to have, you know, actual lists and ideas. That's awesome. I love it that that's come in handy. So, okay. So here's the biggest concern I get from parents when we talk about dietary changes. So many parents are afraid that their children will feel deprived. They all say to me, well, I want to keep some sugar in the house because I don't want them to then go to their friends' houses where there is sugar and go to college where there is sugar and they'll go crazy and gain a ton of weight and get really unhealthy because all of a sudden they, you know, those foods that they were not allowed to have now they, they can have them and they do have access to them. So what would you say to that concern? Oh do you ever gosh, hear this concern? Yeah, no, never. I'm kidding <laughs> all the time, all the time. How but would you answer guys, that here's the, here's the thing though. My kids are 21, 19 and 16. So I get to give you a view from college. So when we went through the different stuff that I just taught my kids, I was like, so you got to eat a fruit before and a vegetable before the thing. We're going to keep our sugar. I'm not, I'm not saying don't ever have sugar. We're going to do a sugar budget. Your added sugar is less than 24 grams a day, but that gives everyone a budget. We have a budget for money. Why can't we have a budget for sugar? Why is sugar the one? Oh, no, no. That one, we're just going to let that roll. And we're okay with ADHD and migraines and headaches and belly pain. We can't. So I kept some sugar <laughs> so in the true. house and had to, right? It's so true. Yes. Yes. And then I kept it to under 24 grams and then they got to choose. So if your child like wants to have the sugary cereal, well, they're in charge of doing some math. How many grams of added sugar do they have? Oh, was it 24? Great. For the rest of the day, you can't have any more. 
So there's no cookie in the lunch. There's no yogurt squeezy in the lunch. There's no granola bar. There's no bread because bread has got added sugar. So I taught my kids how to budget. My husband teaches them how to budget money. I teach them how to budget sugar. Did my children go to their friend's house and gorge on other people's pantry? 100% yes. And what did I do? Nothing. I just had a Botox looking face and I was like, so interesting. And they're like, and then I ate Doritos and then I ate this. And I'm like, great. Amazing. Was it good? Yes. I'm like, fun. They're more fun. How come our pantry can be their pantry? I'm like, well, you can move in with them if you want to. I mean, not a problem. Like I can give you their cell phone number. You can go over there. But in this house, this is what I do. And this is, you know, and if they had acne, we would talk about acne. I was like, I want you guys to be strong. You can't even say healthy. Healthy is like a weird word for kids. It's like triggering. But I was like, I don't know. You guys want to be stronger on the football field. You want to be faster when you play tag. And they're like, oh yeah. I'm like, well, psh, then psh, we can't be eating pop tarts. You know, so we were at swim meets and my son was like, why is it blueberries? And I'm like, well, because if I gave you a lollipop, you already are not good at swimming. I didn't say that in my head. I did. Uh, you're going to be horrible at swimming. I was like, you're not going to do well in your heat. I just said, you're not going to do well in your heat. The rest was in my head. And he had blueberries and he did really well. He was like, Oh, I'm like, that worked. I was like, of course it did. I'm a doctor. It and then after that, he was like, oh, I need blueberries at swim team. I'm like, yes, you do. But it was, again, like picking up on their cues, never using the word healthy, using uh, smarter so you don't have to have tutors, so you could memorize things better, so you're not angry, so you're not in trouble, all the different things. But anyway, they went to the kids, other kids' houses, and they ate all the garbage. <clears throat> and by the way, because my neighbors were like, oh my gosh, it's so annoying, they were like, do you know, when he comes over, he eats all the things, la la la. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, now we're all going to do this. Botox face again. I was like, so interesting. And in my house, all I can do is control my house. And I did in a positive way. If they went out with their friends and they went to Chick-fil-A, I didn't say anything. Now, if their belly hurt after going mm. to Chick-fil-A, as it happened, we would do a brainstorming session. <gasps> so interesting. Why do you think your belly's hurting? I don't know. What Do you think something you ate? And they'd be like, oh, I don't, maybe I, I mean, I did go to Chick-fil-A. I'm like, oh, do you think there's a relation? And they'd be like, well, it did start right after. I'm like, oh. And then they would go, what can I take for it? I'm like, oh, nothing. There's nothing. There's no medicine that you take for belly pain from Chick-fil-A. You can't. You have to wait for the body to get it out of the system. It's like Hippocrates says, let, let thy food be thy medicine. Right. But my people listened. And the let me tell you something. Listened. It was actually, the story was with a uh, Taco Bell and said person, my Jake, my middle one hasn't had Taco Bell since he was seven years old. My man is in college, college. Wow. And what happened with my kids when they went to college? Well, the first year, did they drink alcohol? Of course they did. Did they try all the different foods? Kind of, not because I've been working with them for 14 years. So they did some. Sophomore year, they've managed their drinking. They have their cooking. I call my son for recipes. I'm not even kidding. He's a dude. He's a 19-year-old dude who is cooking, who is meticulous about his diet. My daughter's meticulous. They call me when they're like, I'm at Trader Joe's, uh, this one or this one or this other one. So they are very cognizant. Do they occasionally have whatever? Yes, but really not as much. Like, not at all. Like 1% of the time, I'm going to give it to them. Um, and it's we amazing. keep it because... I, it's, it sounds like you educated them and then they understand themselves why it's best to eat healthy. 
Right. And then you got to let go. And then you just got to let go. And they have nothing to rebel against because you had the Botox face. Botox face is like, oh my, and the funny thing is the kids know that that's what I say. I do it. I teach a lot of parents how to parent teens. And my kids would go, we know what you're doing. We know you're trying to like be Botoxy, but just react, be angry. And I'm like, no, it's so interesting. They're like, stop it. (laughs) That's so smart because teenagers naturally want to be a little rebellious. So if they have nothing to rebel against, it's going to work in our favor. Yes. I'm just thinking you're totally right. I have a memory now of why I don't drink soda. Like I haven't had a soda literally since my cross country days in high school, all because my cross country coach said, if you don't drink soda, you will run faster. Now I'm a terrible runner. I've never been fast, but I listened to him and I took soda out. And then I remember thinking, um, I don't want to, I don't want to drink this substance that's not good for my body. And now I'm not used to sodas. I actually don't like the taste of sodas. And it's all because that motivation to perform better. I love and now that I'm 42. Story so and that's since, since I was 14, I haven't had a soda. Love that story so much. So good. Because you know what? He put that thought in your head. So you started back to mindset. So he said, this is going to slow you down. So when you ran the next time, even if you weren't like a whole lot faster, even if it was like a second faster, you're like, I am faster. Look at that. You know, cause he put that thought in your head back to mindset. You're like, I am going to be faster. And you probably subconsciously yes. put a little extra effort. You, maybe your stride was a little longer. Like you can't, you know, obviously we can't go back and actually measure it, but your mind and body listen to that message and look at you. That's amazing. I, I, I love that. I, I genuinely lost my interest in it. It has no appeal to me. It's been so long and I associate it with not feeling good, not being my best self and don't want it. The craving is gone. And I used to love soda. Hopefully oh, I used I can... to drink soda. Sprite was my thing. Mm-hmm. Now I have to talk my brain into not liking cookies. Can I do that? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> it's a work in progress, right? I can't. Work okay. in All progress. Right. Work in progress. Um, well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. Also, if you could take a moment and leave a five-star review wherever it is you listen to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. It really makes a difference to help this podcast grow. You can also follow me on Instagram at Ask Dr. Jessica. See you next Monday.